Good morning. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, uh, go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers can get you one for this morning. You're going to need one. We have a long passage that we're going to work through uh, verse by verse this morning. So if you need a Bible, just put your hand up and our ushers will give you one that you can use for the service. And if you are receiving that Bible and you do not have a Bible of your own, um, please go ahead and keep that Bible as our gift to you um, so that you can have the word of God in your hands at any time. Um, this has been a really uh, busy and uh, full week. Um, there have been some great things happen in this room in the last few days. Um, back on Thursday, God did some great things through a prayer gathering that we had here for Tracy Morrison. And we're just thrilled with how God moved and uh, how many people came out. What a, a great show of support and love that the church provided there. Um, so thank you for that. And then on Friday evening, um, this place looked different again, and we did a wedding in here for Mackenzie Boyd and her new husband, Beto. And congratulations to them as they start out on this new journey together. And um, if that's a total shock to some of you who are going, why did I not get invited to the wedding? Um, there's another one coming in July. Uh, so they're doing this a little uh, atypical um, because of immigration issues and those kind of things. So um, we had a really good time here on Friday evening. Um, one opportunity I want to mention to you, there are always opportunities to uh, serve in this church. One that I want to mention to you is a, a very recent opening we have for announcement person. Um, that uh, We just lost one this morning. Oh. <laughs> so. Scott, I will pay you back for a long time. Just so you know. <laughs> and, and think about it. If you ask for a hole, what are they going to give you, Scott? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> All right. Carrying on. Let's open our Bibles right away to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to take a, an in-depth look this morning at an absolutely incredible passage of Scripture. Our study of the Sermon on the Mount continues. Um, on Wednesday evenings here at the church, um, I am a, a small group leader in our children's ministry, and I have the privilege of meeting every week with six to eight kids that are in the first to second grade range, and that group includes my son Asher and some of his craziest friends. It's a very high energy, <laughs> the parents of those friends are laughing right now. It's a very high energy, confident, wild pack of kids who typically comes with their own agenda every Wednesday evening. And I have mine, and so we spend a while sorting out whose agenda is going to win out. And then we spend some time going through scripture and learning together. I absolutely adore these kids. They are just a blast to work with. Um, they, This group of kids just has the potential to change the world. They really do. They are just a wild group, and I love them. We were talking this week about worship, and one form of worship that we discussed was the study of God's word. And so I was telling them about our study of the Sermon of the, on the Mount and how when all is said and done, we will have spent a year studying three chapters of the Bible. And I asked them how that could be possible. How could we spend that much time studying one short passage of scripture? And they determined that we must be looking at these three chapters really, really, really hard. That was their answer to it. So let's keep doing that this morning. Let's look really, really, really hard at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Here's what Jesus says in that passage. He says, therefore, I tell you. 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want you to think for a minute about the people in your life that you're closest to. Bring those people to mind. Who are the people in your life that you really trust? Who can you count on without the slightest bit of doubt or skepticism? Who do you know who will absolutely come through for you every time? Who can you trust to the point where you invite them into the very deepest places of your heart? Who can you trust with your secrets? Who can you trust to know what you need and to deliver it every time? That list is getting pretty small, isn't it? One of the characteristics of relationships in this fallen world is the limited number of people that we can actually honestly trust. Even our closest friends rarely provide the level of trust that we're looking for. Most, if not all of us, can recall multiple times in our lives when someone broke our trust, when someone let us down. We shared something with them in confidence and they broke that confidence. We expected them to come through for us in a time of need and they failed. We are wired with the need to be fully, unconditionally able to trust somebody. So this morning we're going to look at someone we can trust and how the words of Jesus point us to that someone. And we're going to honestly examine whether or not we do trust him. I believe that we have an issue with trust. I believe that far too many people in God's family have a hard time trusting God. In our passage today, we will see that Jesus could see that lack of trust in the lives of those that he had created as well. And so he challenged that lack of trust in a loving, convicting, and inviting way. The main message that Jesus was communicating in our passage was the message, do not be anxious. In other words, do not worry. Do not be nervous. Do not be uneasy about something that you may consider to have an uncertain outcome. Do not fear the danger of misfortune. Do not be anxious. This is what Jesus tells us right away in verse 25. The verse starts with the word, therefore, but we're going to address that later on. I want to end this message with a look at the triple use of the word, therefore, by Jesus in this passage. That's worth noting. Jesus also uses this phrase, do not be anxious, three times in tandem with the word, therefore. 
And he's clearly trying to get a message across here. And this is a message that can greatly benefit every single one of us. Do not be anxious. Our trust is being challenged here. Our lack of trust is being confronted. Our relationship with God is being brought into the light. So let's invite God to do whatever he wants to do with that trust. As we bring it into the light this morning where we can take a good look at it. And then still in verse 25, Jesus defines what it is that he's addressing when it comes to our trust. He says, do not be anxious about your life. And before we look at the specific life concerns that Jesus is speaking to, let's back up to the previous passage in the Sermon on the Mount and remind ourselves of something. In verse 24, Jesus reminds us that we serve God. We have to choose between God and money, but as we wisely choose to serve God, we are willingly giving ourselves to God as his servants, as his slaves even. In the most direct, clear terms possible, God owns us. God owns us. Our lives belong to him. Worrying about those lives contradicts God's ownership of them. It contradicts his authority in our lives. If it's my life, I will worry about it because I am not capable of taking ownership of my life. I am not qualified for that job. I'm grossly under-equipped to be the owner of my life. So if I do own it, if I think that, I will worry about it. Only in the context of God owning our lives can we truly respond to Jesus' words to not be anxious about those lives. There is no need to be anxious when the creator of the universe is in charge. And we'll break that reality down throughout our study this morning. Do not be anxious about your life, Jesus says. Jesus then gives us some specifics in verse 25 to pinpoint the things that we have a tendency to worry about. He introduces two areas of concern. He instructs his listeners not to worry about what they will eat or drink and not to worry about what they will wear. Now, at this point, we see in Jesus' words a bit of a contrast to what he was saying earlier in verses 19 to 24. Previously, Jesus was speaking to those who were stockpiling things. He challenged us to stop laying up, literally stacking in piles, earthly treasures, and start laying up treasures in heaven. He was speaking to what happens to the excess in people's lives. Are you hoarding your surplus or investing your surplus in eternal things? Well, to those who had little to begin with, um, these words may have gone right over their heads. Maybe you had a similar response over the last few weeks. Maybe you silently laughed as we looked at Jesus' words, affirming in your head that having too much and hoarding wealth were really not a problem for you. You can't hoard what you don't have and can't get. Maybe what you're struggling with is not having enough. I would imagine there were people in the crowd who listened to Jesus that day who were struggling even to put food on their tables. And so here Jesus invites them into the conversation and has some clear counsel for them, some very, very encouraging counsel. To all present, he said, do not worry about your life, what you can or can't put on the table, and don't worry about having clothes to wear. Now remember that clothing was a form of financial security in those days. 
People typically had one set of clothes that they wore all the time. But those clothes required an investment to have and keep. It was not cheap to acquire a set of clothes that would keep you cool when it was hot and warm when it was cold. So people sincerely worried about what they would eat and drink and what they would wear. Jesus then reminds them that life is about more than food and clothing. This is the kind of reminder that I need in front of me every single day. I think we all do. This is a lift your eyes kind of statement. Um, Remember when we had this room set up like a cavern? And I had up here in front of me a, a box, and the box represented the amount of focus and attention that we give to our earthly circumstances. Well, here in Matthew 6.25, Jesus is inviting us to once again lift our eyes from our boxes and look to the greater circumstances around us, to our eternal circumstances. Jesus says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Grab this statement and give it whatever it needs to sink into your mind and your heart. Life is more than the physical. Life is more than the things that we see. Life is more than having the best food to eat. Life is more than having the finest drinks. Life is more than wearing the latest fashion trends. Life is more than having the latest technology. Life is more than having the newest cars. Life is more than owning the biggest house. Life is more than installing the latest style of kitchen cabinets. Life is more than taking the most popular vacation. Life is more than wearing the most stylish makeup. Life is more than six-pack abs. Life is more than the latest gaming system. Life is more than craft beer. Life is more than a perfect lawn. Life is more than a five-car garage. Life is more than the physical realm. Life is more than making what we think is enough. Life is more than trying to keep up with the Joneses. Life is more than the American dream. Life is more than spending money. Life is more than a fat retirement fund. Life is more than new shoes, new jeans, new jewelry, new toys. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. So Jesus starts to break this concept down. He gives the people he's teaching some very practical examples of what he's talking about. And he uses object lessons that are right there in front of them. They were sitting on the side of a hill in the country. And Jesus used what he had in front of him to make his point. He was very good at this. In verse 26, he starts with a reference to the birds of the air. It is quite possible and likely even that Jesus pointed to a flock of ravens nearby. Ravens were very common at that time and in that area and they still are. So Jesus may have used them as an example. He may have referenced some other type of bird. It really doesn't matter what bird he was talking about. He simply draws attention to some birds. And what he says about the birds is remarkable. He reminds us of something so obvious but so easily overlooked. The birds that God created are not farmers. He did not create the ravens and then ask them to plant and harvest grain in order to meet their own need for food. God did not create the robin and then teach it how to grow a worm farm in order to meet its need for food. God did not create seagulls and then instruct man to waste food which would end up in the Burnsville dump and thus provide food for the seagulls. God created a world in which the birds of the air would have enough food to eat. Every year at this time we love watching the return of the migrating birds that we get to enjoy here through the spring, summer, and fall. 
uh, the sandhill cranes that, that live behind our property. And when I wrote this, I wrote, should be coming back any day now. Well, they, they arrived two days ago. They came back. They're back. The, the Canada geese are, are setting up their nests out behind our house. They feel welcome in my neighborhood. <laughs> the ducks that nest in our front yard are back. The birds are back. And they will have all the food that they need to eat without having to clear some land and plant and water and weed and harvest. These birds will not do a thing to care for their need for food. And yet, they will be taken care of. They will be taken care of. They will make it through another year and return next spring because someone is going to faithfully take care of them. And I want to draw your attention to a small but important detail in the words of Jesus. He says, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. God takes care of them. But Jesus didn't say, God takes care of them. He said, your heavenly father feeds them. Whose father? My father. Your father. Our father takes care of them. Jesus is inviting us to make the connection between God's provision for us and his provision for the world that he's created. It's our dad that's feeding the birds. If we stop filling our bird feeders and cut off that fat squirrel's supply, the birds and the squirrel will not starve. Our father will take care of them. He provides for what he's created. This is one of those areas in which I just have to shake my head over those who buy into the whole evolution theory. How can anyone honestly believe that all the birds of the air and every living thing just accidentally came into being? And then an entire system of provision for those creatures accidentally came into being as well. It's ridiculous. And if we allow ourselves to think that all these things happened by accident, then what do we do with Jesus' words in Matthew 6? How could we ever trust God if we don't believe that he alone is responsible for the creation of and provision for this world? He did this. He did this. He created the birds of the air and he provides for them. Listen then to the words of our brother Jesus as he touches our hearts, reminding us of who our father is He says, are you not of more value than they? How could our father be concerned about the birds enough to feed them, but not be concerned about us? Jesus feels the need to let his listeners know that they are of vastly more worth than a flock of ravens. We do need to know that we are significant. It's a key aspect to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. He gets that we need this affirmation. We need to know that we are significant. So Jesus reminds us of that significance here in verse 26 with his rhetorical question. Of course we are of more value than the birds. We have significantly greater worth than they do. We were created in the image of our father. They weren't. So of course we have substantially more value than the birds. How can we not then trust our father to take care of our needs as well? Why would he care enough about the birds of the air to to, to provide for them and then not 
care about us enough to take care of us. We have a trust issue. We have a trust issue. If we doubt God's ability to take care of us or his concern for our needs being met, uh, we are questioning the very character of God. God loves his children and sees great value in us, so of course he's going to take care of us. We've seen this play out over and over again throughout the world. We've seen families and even whole villages come to Christ in the third world and then have seen how God miraculously meets the needs of his people even in the midst of adversity and poverty. He can and will do this. God will meet our needs because we are of infinite value to him. Trust him. He is a good father. I smile when I read verse 27. Um, Jesus states the obvious. Our anxiety can't solve our problems. How can we add even a single hour to our lifespan by worrying? We can't. We can certainly make our lives shorter by worrying. There are are studies that have shown over and over again that anxiety only ages us faster. Worrying, Worrying more about living longer only makes us live shorter lives. Stress is a killer. And it not only shortens our lives, it makes them more miserable along the way. Another way in which this verse has been translated is a statement that worrying about our lives won't add one cubit to our stature. Um, one cubit is about 18 inches. And you'll note that I'm wise enough not to ask you for that answer. I'll just give it to you. Peter and Jared are still trying to reconcile from last week. Jesus is saying that you can't worry yourself taller Anxiety will not make me reach my childhood dream of being 6'3". My son Liam's going to get there, so I'll have to live vicariously through him. But I can't get there, and no amount of worry will change that. I am who I am, and worrying will not change who I am. It can't. In verse 28, Jesus expands on his comment about clothing. Uh, Once again, I, I believe... He just had his listeners look around, and on the side of that hill, likely were some wildflowers growing there. There were many beautiful wildflowers at that time. There still are in that part of the world and in our part of the world. God has dressed this world in a spectacular way. This is such a great time of the year to be be reminded of this here, um, except maybe today with the snow again. We're watching the trees start to bud out and we're expecting those bulbs to come through soon and take our breath away again. Uh, Even more impressive to me is wandering into a forest or a a country meadow somewhere and just seeing what's coming up. Spring is amazing for flowers. And again, Jesus draws our attention to the beauty of what God has created and how things get to be that beautiful. The lilies of the field do not work themselves silly to make themselves look that good. They don't grow cotton and harvest it and spin it and dye it and tailor their clothes out of what they've worked to provide for themselves. They don't dress themselves. I love the fact that Jesus refers back to the efforts of Solomon in verse 29. Solomon who had an unlimited wardrobe budget but still couldn't pull off what the lilies do in terms of beauty. No matter how much money he spent to make himself look good, his beauty couldn't touch the beauty of a wildflower. 
And the wildflower didn't have to do a thing to get that way. My father made the wildflowers look that beautiful. He clothed them. He clothed them with care and creativity. He did this. He had enough concern for the flowers he created to make them beautiful and to provide everything they needed to keep reproducing their beauty for thousands of years. So can I trust him to clothe me? Can you trust him to clothe you? Of course we can. We are so much more valuable than flowers to our father. And think about this. This just blows my mind. Try to wrap your head around how many animals and how many flowers exist on this planet. That number is far beyond our reach. Yet God cares for every single animal. He cares for every single plant. He creates and provides for every single living creature. How could we ever doubt his ability to care for us? That's why in verse 30, Jesus says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not, <clears throat> will he not much more clothe you? Um, back in Jesus' time, households had ovens in which they baked their bread, and their bread was a staple in their diet. Those ovens were heated with fire that was made underneath the oven and came up and heated it. Now, if the cook wanted to heat that oven quicker, they'd simply go out to the fields surrounding their home and gather some dead grass and flowers to throw into the fire, into the oven. They'd light them and use this to heat up quicker the inside of the oven instead of just waiting for the fire underneath to heat the whole thing, which would be slower. Now, God created and provided for things like flowers that would display their beauty for a short time and then fade and die and dry up. How much more care, Jesus is saying, will our Father invest in those of us whose lives have far more value and will last much, much longer? And then there's that term that as you study the Bible, you come to fear. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. This is always a gentle, loving, yet convicting and firm chastisement coming from Jesus. He used it on his disciples at other times as well. Here's, here's the challenge to our trust issues right here. Why do we have such a hard time believing that our Father will provide everything that we need? How can we question the faithfulness and care of one who so thoroughly provides for even the smallest and least significant of his creation? How much more will he provide for his children? Can you imagine a father who takes better care of his dog than he does of his son? Can you imagine a mother who takes better care of the, the plants in her garden than she does of her own children? Of course not. That's silly. God takes care of his children. He takes care of his children. And that has been proven over and over and over again. In verse 31, Jesus states again that we are not to be anxious we're not to be wandering around in fear, worrying about where our next meal is going to come from or how we're going to be able to close our kids. We're not to forget or deny that our Father walks right next to us, ready and able to provide at every turn. 
All we have to do is remind ourselves to remind ourselves of this fact is to simply look at the birds of the air or the trees or the flowers or whatever happens to be within sight at the moment. There are limitless reminders around us of the care that our father has for us. Then in verse 32, Jesus points out the difference between us and those who choose not to follow God. The Gentiles, those who don't follow God, he says, put their physical needs far higher up their priority list than they should be. You don't have to look far today to see that this is still very, very true. But it shouldn't be true of us. It shouldn't be true of God's children. We need not worry about our food and clothes. We need not worry about how our basic needs will be provided. We also can't give those things more value than they're due. Food and clothing are not things that we should assign high value to as things that will earn us earthly rewards. We just have to keep them in perspective. And what perspective? The perspective that Jesus presents in the last half of verse 32, where he says, your father knows that you need them all. God understands what we need. He did create us and he does love us. So we're back to the trust issue again. We believe that God knows what we need, but do we believe that he cares about us enough to provide what we need? He most certainly does. And the question then is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? In verse 33, Jesus brings it all down to one basic command. He redirects the attention we give to meeting our own physical needs. Instead of seeking the things you need, Jesus says, seek the one who can provide it all for you. This is what we're attempting to do in our 40-day focus here. Look to Jesus. Look to our Father. Get our eyes off the things that we foolishly believe we are providing for ourselves. Get our eyes off our earthly treasure, off our earthly circumstances, and on to Jesus. We're trying to worry less about the things of this world that hold our attention and create our anxiety We're looking to Jesus instead, seeking God, seeking God's kingdom and allowing him to provide for us in a way that only he can. But we have to trust him if we're actually going to accomplish this. We have to believe that there is only God and that God is everything that we need. We can't look to Jesus for affirmation and then look to ourselves for provision doesn't work that way we can't look to jesus for inspiration and then look to this world for perspective we can't look to jesus for salvation but then look to ourselves for sustenance we can't look to jesus for reassurance but then look away and worry jesus invites us to seek god first he invites us to seek the kingdom and righteousness of god before anything else Then and only then will we see God provide everything that we need as he has promised. Our father can be trusted to provide everything we need. He's got our physical needs covered. Food and drink, clothing, and even tomorrow. We worry a lot about the future. It seems to be a part of this Western mindset that we have. There's a lot of anxiety out there over what the future holds. But God's got that too. He can be trusted as much with tomorrow as he can be trusted with today. Our father will provide everything we need for today. He will provide everything we need tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. 
If he can be trusted with today, which he can, then he can be trusted with tomorrow. And he's offering to take that burden of anxiety off our shoulders. Look back on God's faithfulness in in your past if you need to. He can be trusted as much today and tomorrow as he has been faithful and trustworthy in the past. So do you trust him? Do you trust your father? Three times in our passage, Jesus speaks the words, Therefore, do not be anxious. He keeps building on the evidence that we can trust our father. In verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. Referring back to what he's already said, Jesus is saying, do not be anxious about having what you need. You have eternal treasure stored up in heaven for you. So trust your father with what you need for today. In verse 31, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. Why not? Because your father loves you more than he loves the birds and the flowers. You are of greater worth to your father than these. So don't worry about how you'll be cared for. Your father loves you. In verse 34, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. Why not? Because your heavenly father already knows what you need and he will provide it for you. Just seek him and he will take care of all of these things. All of them. Our father, our dad is asking us to trust him. Do you trust him today? Or do you worry because you're not really sure if he'll come through for you or not? This all comes down to our relationship with our heavenly father. Jesus made it crystal clear that we can trust our father. Remember that God is Jesus father too. Jesus knows him better than we do right now. He's spent eternity with our father. So when Jesus says, trust our father, do you think his testimony is reliable? Of course it is. Look to Jesus today and let him show you the trustworthiness of our father. With our brother Jesus, let's continue to see God first and count on him with confidence to meet all of our needs, everything. And as we look to him, guess what we get to lay aside and cast off? Worry, anxiety, stress. You ready to be free of those weights? Trust him. Seek God first and trust him to be your perfect father. I'm going to invite our ushers to come now and take the offering and the worship team, if you'll come to prepare to close us with song. Um, Will you pray with me this morning as they do? And as we close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer, I want you to just take some time right now because we have a tendency to forget things awfully quickly and just let our experience on Sunday mornings just slide by real quick as we move on to the next thing in our busy lives. I want you to take a moment as you're quiet before God right now to just examine your trust. Do you trust him? 
Do you really trust him? Are you struggling maybe to to reach that point of absolute trust? Maybe things haven't gone well for you. Maybe you've had a hard time and and you, you're struggling to believe whether or not this is really a display of God's, tr- God's love for you. And because things have been hard, maybe you've had a difficult time trusting your father. I want you to just bring that before God right now, just in this quiet moment. Bring that lack of trust to God. It's okay for you to tell him that you're having a hard time trusting him. We have a tendency to do that because things don't go the way that we expect them to or want them to. And so we look to God and go, what are you doing? Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let this happen to somebody that I love? Are you having a hard time trusting your father? I want you to just admit that to him this morning. With all of our heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you want to just admit to God right now, God, I am having a hard time trusting you. Will you just go ahead and put your hand up right now and I will pray for you. Just put your hand up right now. God, I, I'm having a hard time trusting you. I understand that fully. It's hard. Father, I want to lift up every one of those who raised their hand right now. There were a lot of hands go up. And I know that your desire is for every one of us to be able to trust you fully. I sense that every one of those who raised their hand is saying, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. We see so many, Lord, who were close to your son, who in spite of that physical evidence that they had right in front of them, still had a hard time trusting you. We know that it's part of our fallen nature to struggle with that. So, Father, I would pray that you would just build our faith. We know that faith is a gift from you. Give us a deeper faith. Give us a stronger faith. Give us a bigger faith. A faith that trusts you totally. Father, we see so much around us that seems so wrong. So much suffering that seems so unnecessary. So much pain that... We really shouldn't have to go through, it seems. And so it's hard sometimes for us to just acknowledge that we can trust you. To acknowledge that you do love us, care for us so deeply. God, draw us into that understanding. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to see you. 
to see you as that perfect father that trusts us, that cares for us, that loves us so much. And to see how we can become trusting children and just crawl up on your lap and believe that you'll take care of everything that we need. God, I do thank you for your faithfulness, for your trustworthiness, for the steadfast, reliable love that you have for us. God, help us to trust you more. And by trusting you to let go of the anxiety and the stress, the worry, all that weight that just drags us down and keeps keeps us from you. God, we do love you. And we do believe in you. We do trust you. Help us to trust you more. Fully. Totally. Help us to seek your face. Knowing that as we do seek you, your face, your kingdom, your righteousness. You'll take care of everything. Absolutely everything. God, thank you for the promise that if we seek you, all these things will be provided for us. We're counting on that promise this morning. We're counting on you to fulfill your promise like you always do. As we look to you, as we seek you first. We love you, God, and we trust you as our perfect father. pray this in the name of your perfect son, our perfect brother, Jesus Christ. Amen.